And as I mentioned earlier, that our um, gospel lesson, um, we will be, well, not to mention the gospel lesson, but mentioning our Lenten season, we'll be looking at times where God visited us at nighttime. And what does that mean for us? What does that look like for us? And so this first Sunday in Lent, we turn to Jesus' temptation, where Jesus spent 40 days and also 40 nights. And what does it mean for Jesus to spend 40 nights? Um, and what did Jesus stay awake wondering? What kind of questions did Jesus have during those night times when he was out in the wilderness by himself? What kind of questions do we have when we feel like we're in a season of Lent, a season of wilderness, a time where things just don't seem, that we can't see um, ahead of us, where we don't feel like there's any bread there for us to have? What keeps us up late at night as well, too? And perhaps through this um, journey with Jesus, will remind us that God is there meeting us in those questions. And we remind that when we come to this text today, we are reminded that Jesus starts here um, before he begins his ministry. Maybe he was still wet from his baptism, hearing God call him child of God. Let us now um, join me, if you would, in, as we listen for God's word. This comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil uh, led him up and showed him an, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give you their glory and all its authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the God, Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on the other hand, on, on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put your Lord your God to the test. When a devil had finished every test, he departed from him into an opportune time. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Rembrandt captures this scene on our passage that we just read beautifully. He had several um, depictions of this scene, but one of them, he, he draws the two, Jesus and the devil, and he draws them to look like friends. They appear to be ambling down a country road deep in conversation. If you look in your insert in your bulletin on, on that um, page, uh, on the back of that new hymn that we were saying, you can see the drawing there. If you're watching from home, you can see it in the email that, we re um, that you received this morning if you get the church email. And notice in that drawing, the devil is a half a step behind Jesus. His head is a skeletal. 
But there's an urgent, deeply human look on his face. He is reasoning with Jesus, not threatening him. One of his wings is sort of thrown over Jesus' shoulder in almost a familiar manner. The tempter is leaning in, mouth open slightly, eyes on Christ, perhaps speaking quietly, with heavy stone in his hands, holding that um, stone out as if it were a gift. If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. Pastor and writer Matt Fitzgerald describes this scene as a powerful intimacy. Despite the wings, Satan does not look monstrous. He looks sort of reasonable. Most of our temptations are, aren't they? Most of our temptations are reasonable. It's not like the, the devil was tempting Jesus to cheat on his wife or to smoke a cigarette out back or to even sneak a piece of chocolate cake in the middle of the night. Instead, he tempts Jesus with power. And often, our temptation with power comes with good intentions. Notice the three temptations that Jesus was tempted with. Turn the stones into bread. Well, the hungry hope so. Take political control. Those that are being oppressed, sure hope so. Leap from the temple. Those needing some type of proof of God's power, they hope so. If Jesus did any of these three temptations, no one could blame him for bad, having bad intentions. After all, the tempter meets Jesus in the wilderness. As we said, he's alone and he's hungry. This happens before his ministry, which means there's no sermons have been preached, no one healed, and no demons cast out. All this on the hills of Jesus being told, you are the son of God. As the devil walks next to Jesus, as he gets close to him, I wonder if the tempter could sense a struggle within Jesus. Maybe you have the same struggle. A new religion, a new idea from scripture, as if God is speaking directly to you. What do you do with this new identity? How are you being called to use it? Perhaps Jesus is struggling with what we struggle with in our identity and the power that comes with being named a child of God. And so the tempter, first Jesus, with, first with social power, the power to turn um, stones into bread and all the hungry and all those that are not hungry will love you for it. Instead of turning the stone into bread, Jesus answered him with a quote from Deuteronomy. One does not live by bread alone, he says. If you keep reading the original verse, he continues, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Why? What does he say that instead of feeding everyone at once? I think it comes to power. If the mission is to feed the hungry, that is wonderful. After all, food pantries like Harnett Food Pantry and soup kitchens and similar ministries are a vital part 
of helping fight hunger, not to mention the first soup kitchens and the first pantries were began at churches. Jesus himself even tells Peter, when Peter says, what do you want me to do? Jesus says, feed my sheep. And the way our country is set up, if we do not have feed pantries, we're in trouble. We have to have food pantries. But I think it goes deeper than food. Even with the best intentions, if our concentration is on the end product, what happens is we join the game of consumerism. Where we will be made to believe power and control are those with either with the most or those who control the distribution, including food, immaterial items, and money. And even with our best intentions, we end up seeking social power. So Jesus shifts our desire into the desire for God, moving our intention into the word of God. If we learn to feed on the bread of heaven, first feeding on bread of this world, then we will never be hungry again. And that's power. When social power did not work, the, the tempter tempts Jesus with political power. All you need to do, Jesus, is submit to the rules of this world. And everything, everything that the Magi said, everything that the angels proclaimed, everything that your mother sang about while you sat in her womb, will all come true. Can you imagine the pressure? There in the wilderness alone, the beginning of your ministry... And so many people are counting on you. And you have all you have to do. And you have this offer right in front of you. They can set it right. All you have to do. Just bend your knees and bow. And just like that. You accomplish everything. That I said that you would. Set right. The injustice. End the violence. Legislate the kingdom of God. But Jesus doesn't take the bite. I wonder, within those lonely nights in the wilderness, is Jesus learning what true power lies? Sam Wells explains it this way. Governments are important. They influence most people's lives, but we can become oppressed, obsessed, excuse me, obsessed about political office and the personalities in the public spotlight. And so we spend our nights watching Fox and MSNBC and CNN. But just imagine what power we would discover if we set aside a moment the power of wisdom, the power of truth, the power of soil and seas and air and wind and sun, the power of the ideas, the power of the imagination, the power of rhetorical questions, the power of knowledge. Jesus says there's one thing that's always more important than government, and that's worship. Worship directs you to where true power lies. A power that government can only envy. What Jesus is doing for you and for me is transforming the desire for political control into the desire for worship rather than be determined to be in charge of everything. 
Jesus reorients our gaze to the one who really is in charge. He says again, quoting Deuteronomy, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The only true government is found in true worship. Now that's power. Perhaps, perhaps Jesus' last response moved the tempter to the last, last temptation. And that's the power of religion. After the first two temptations, Jesus responds to the tempter with scripture. This time, the tempter is prepared. And he quotes his own scripture. But Jesus answers again back with more scripture, helping us to discern appropriate and inappropriate use of scripture. What the tempter's doing we can easily do with really good intentions. We come to Scripture trying to justify an action or, or try to justify our individual selves. So we find something that fits our need at that particular time that points to us instead of pointing to God. Seen throughout the life of Jesus Christ. And when Scripture becomes about us instead of God, what ends up happening is that we begin to see God made in our image instead of us made in God's image. In other words, we become the parent instead of the child of God. And if we're not careful, we may end up making claims like one religious leader did this week when he suggested that Russia's invasion was an act of God. And even if we do not go to that extreme, we have to keep in mind Jesus' desire is not for us to be religious. But instead, Jesus' desire is for us to know our identity, which makes us religious people have to ask, are we more concerned about the church being relevant, about keeping members in the seats, about finances that they will pay and committees that they will serve, or is I concerned about faith formation? If the answer is faith formation, helping one another see their identity as a child of God and leaving everything else up to God, that's power. Which leads us then to the underlying temptation. To have it all. Everything without a journey. Instead, just to simply click a rock, bow a knee, jump from a building. And to do that would mean that we would leave out all the joys that Jesus showed. All the teachings, all the encounters, all the healings, all the growth. It would also leave out the, the struggle of the cross. The agony pain, the suffering, the death. But if we stop there, without God's power of raising Jesus from the dead, then the power of struggle and violence and selfishness and fear always win. And we would miss the heart of the gospel. Well, again, the heart of the gospel is that Jesus was raised from the dead. This unique act of power shows us definitively the nature of God and the power of God's love. 
pointing us to be to both forward-looking and backward-looking. Forward-looking because it gives us a new future, reminding us that death is not the victor, and points this internal life that God has for each and every one of us. But also backward-looking because the cross gives us a new past. It's showing us that every failure, every sin, every catastrophe, even the cross itself can be redeemed. And every aspect of our lives can be ransomed and healed and restored and forgiven. Together, the cross and resurrection gives us a new future and restores our past, which lies the problem of injustice, which lies the problem of violence. It's not that weapons are too strong or injustice creates barriers that will never be overcome. Instead, weapons are just too weak. They're distracting us from the power of God's love. Injustice pathetically tries to push back barriers, but Jesus brings this tidal wave of righteousness like an ever-flowing, never-ending stream of water. Violence and injustice both bring untold suffering, which we are seeing being played out right in front of us today. This type of suffering that often gets hidden in our carefully crafted, sheltered lives. But the good news is that the power that they hold is nothing compared to the power of God's love. And perhaps more than ever, this year in Lent, we need to discover this true power. A power that can't be discovered all at once, but a power that comes to us over time, slowly transforming us. I had it explained to me once like this. Just suppose, suppose that Jesus and you were walking down the street. But unlike the tempter, Jesus was not tempting you at all, but instead you were just having a conversation with Jesus. And then Jesus turns to you and asks you, uh, if I ask you to do something, would you do it for me? Everybody say, yes, of course. It's you, Jesus. So nice for you to ask me. What do you want me to do? I'll do anything. And because it's Jesus, we're thinking this is going to be something big. We, we know something great is getting ready to happen. This is going to be something really, really, really important. And this has to really get done right away. And we have been picked to do it. But there's one catch. Jesus says, you have to drink this cup that I'm offering. And we say, sure. And because, again, it's Jesus, we're thinking, all right, I'll take this big cup and I'll just do one big dramatic gulp. He says, he says, no, no. Instead, he wants us to drink a cup, not in some single big gulp, not to take it all in at once, but just to swallow it. So we say, sure, I'll drink it as you want. And he said, you know what, just take a sip. Over the next 40 years or so, just take a sip of the cup that I'm offering. to go on this journey 
with Jesus is a journey of a lifetime. It never comes in one big dramatic moment. One amazing service project. uh, One incredible idea. It doesn't come with a big youth event or not even a mountaintop experience or a year in the wilderness. Instead, is a lifetime of following Jesus where we, over time, will learn where true power lies and our identity will be revealed. In just a few moments, we will gather here at this table and take a small drink from that cup where we will not only be transformed but what we remember that Jesus came for us. Not so we could have social power or political power or even religious power. But he came to us because God so loved the world. And it's that power of God's love, the body and the blood of Christ, that has been transforming the world ever since. And that is power. Amen.